Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Jesus Stories. This is the podcast which tells and now explains the life of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm your storyteller. I'm your teacher, George Taylor. We've spent the last three episodes dealing with Jesus' encounter with Satan. Unlike Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Jesus stood firm against Satan, proving in his encounter that he is capable of defeating evil. Now, why did I use the Adam and Eve example? Because in later New Testament writings, Paul would make the same comparison. He says, because one person disobeyed God, that was Adam, many, that's you and me, became sinners. But because one other person, that's Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous or right with God. And that is those who believe in Jesus and choose to follow him in their lives. Jesus stood firm against evil, an action with eternal implications. And in that standing, it's time for him to begin his ministry. We'll start there with today's happenings after this. We make these Jesus stories available to you free of charge because of the support of those who can afford to do so. So what about you? Are you willing to help us keep this podcast going? It's really very easy. You just visit my website, jesusstories.info. That's jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab. You'll find ways to support us financially, whether it's a one-time contribution or a small ongoing monthly contribution. Either way, any help is appreciated, and it will go to reach the over 2,000 listeners per month from all around the globe who hear this podcast. So won't you help? Just visit that website, jesusstories.info, that's jesusstories.info, and click on the Support This Podcast tab to find out how. Other than praying for us, one of the best ways to support us is through word of mouth advertising. Tell your friends. Tell people that you're listening to this podcast. Invite them to listen to. You can also rate and review us on your podcast player, and we appreciate whatever you're willing to do. the baptism of Jesus, Jehovah God announced, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is the heavenly confirmation of the identity of Jesus. Jesus has been tested in the wilderness, the desert, and has passed his test with flying colors. John the Baptist, the weird prophet out at the River Jordan, has announced that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is unique, and people are beginning to hear that message. Jesus and John have been hanging out in the same part of the wilderness in these days. And when John sees Jesus, he announces that Jesus is, quote, the Lamb of God, end quote. This is a special announcement. And what does that mean? 
Well, in the Jewish belief, a lamb or a goat, totally without any blemish of any kind, was sacrificed to the Lord Jehovah on a daily basis. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, a day for confessing and seeking forgiveness of sins, the blood of the animals was offered to Jehovah in order to seek that forgiveness, and this all began with Passover. Now, that's a term we've heard before. So what is it? What is Passover? Passover is a special festival for the Jewish peoples. The end of the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus tell the story of the Jewish people in the land of Egypt. As Exodus opens, the Jews have been in Egypt for 400 years. The newest pharaoh, the ruler or king of Egypt, has enslaved this group of probably about a million people. In the misery of their slavery, the Jews cry out to God for help. God listens and sends a deliverer, Moses. Through Moses, God works ten miracles which bring plagues on the land of Egypt, everything from turning the water into blood to locust-eating their crops, the killing of cattle, and a whole lot more. The final plague was a warning that the firstborn male child of every family would die unless a perfect lamb was slaughtered and the blood of that lamb was spread on the mantle of the door of the home. An angel of death went through the land, killing all the firstborn, unless he found blood on the door of the home. The angel passed over the houses which had blood on the mantle, hence the name of the celebration, the Passover. The Jews had followed this command, saving their firstborn, while the Egyptians did not. Later, God would command that this event be remembered for all time with the Passover festival. Later in the New Testament, the apostles Paul and Peter would compare Jesus to this Passover lamb. You can find the scripture in our show notes. The term Lamb of God wouldn't have been lost on the first century Jew who was really seeking to find the Messiah. And John's announcement had an effect on a few who heard it. Two of his disciples turned and started following Jesus, literally. Jesus asked them what they wanted. They asked him where he was staying. And with that, Jesus issued an invitation to spend time with them. One of these guys was named Andrew. He found his brother Simon and told him, We've found the Messiah. Simon goes to see and meets Jesus, who looks at him and changes his name to Peter. The next day, Jesus is about to leave for Galilee, but he finds Philip and says to him, Follow me. Philip finds Nathanael and tells him, We've found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaims Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and check it for yourself, Peter says. And so he does. Jesus sees him and makes a couple of extraordinary statements. Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. This blows Nathanael's mind. He believes and says so. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus responds by saying, You believe just because I said I saw you under the fig tree? 
Then he says in my paraphrase, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus then travels from the area where John has been baptizing to Galilee, to the town of Cana. This particular journey, like any journey in the first century of Israel, would not have been particularly easy. Some roads were known to be dangerous, filled with robbers. The terrain was either mountainous or in the foothills of some mountainous areas. Travel was usually on foot or by donkey or camel. And if you're poor, you're probably on foot. I can imagine that during these times of moving from one place to another, a journey that could take several days, Jesus and his disciples would be discussing all manner of things. Jesus could teach, his disciples could pepper him with questions, bonds would be formed that would last a lifetime. In Cana, Jesus and his disciples and his mother attend a wedding. Now, we know nothing of the participants in this wedding. That's not the important part. However, we do know that Jesus and his entourage had been invited to this party. And a party it is. A Jewish wedding would last one to two weeks with feasting and drinking and fellowship. So it would be a social disaster to run out of food or drink. But that is just what happens. Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to Jesus with the report that the wine has run out. Jesus says, dear woman, that's not our problem. And then he adds, this isn't my time. Don't push me. Indeed, Jesus operates on a timetable set by Jehovah God, something which we will see throughout his story. So he reminds his mother that the time for his public ministry hasn't yet started. That doesn't deter Mary. She tells the servants to do as Jesus tells them to do. We learn that there are six stone water jars, which were used for ceremonial washing, which held about 20 to 30 gallons of water each. Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars to the brim with water. Then he says, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. The servants did so. The master of ceremonies is blown away. He tastes wine, not water, and he did not know where the wine had come from. And he tells the host, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Note that only Jesus, the servants, the disciples, and Mary knew what had just occurred that Jesus had turned this water for washing into the finest of wines. The Bible tells us that this miracle helped his disciples to believe in him. This miracle reminds us that Jesus was willing to do what was needed to help his followers believe in him. Not only that, but he is turning some social conventions on their heads. These ceremonial washing pots had been used for external purposes. Now they were used to help bring joy in this occasion. We're seeing a sample of grace from God. From Cana, Jesus, his mothers, brothers, and disciples traveled to Capernaum for a few days. Now, Capernaum would become Jesus' second home, his base for operating while he ministered in Galilee. It's a fishing village on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. While fishing was the main profession there, it was also known for agriculture and services provided to caravans. It was located on a Roman road and for tax collection. This journey was about 23 miles long, 
probably along the Roman road that we just mentioned, and probably on foot. So how long would it take you to walk 23 miles? Then John's narrative tells us that when it was almost time for the Passover festival that Jesus went to Jerusalem. Again, this is an arduous journey through mountainous territory that would have been about 100 miles south. If you check your Bible closely, you'll note that John tells us that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel and the worship center for the Jewish faith, was situated atop a mountain, thus the up language of the Bible. Jerusalem is indeed the principal city of Israel at the time of Jesus. The temple is located there, making Jerusalem the spiritual capital of Israel, and it is there that all of the festivals which God had commanded of the Jews would be centered. And it was probably the largest of all the cities in Palestine at the time. Some estimate that the population could have been well over 100,000 people. As I said, the Jewish temple is located in Jerusalem. This is the temple built about 500 years before Christ to replace the original temple destroyed by the Babylonians. It was huge, the largest temple complex in the Roman world. This was due to King Herod's renovations to the temple. It was to this temple that Jewish men were required to come for three festivals a year, one of them being the Passover, and it was in this temple and only in this place that animal sacrifices were performed. That figures prominently in the next part of our story. As I said before, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus, as an observant Jew, would have considered going to the Passover to be a requirement of the law of God. When he arrives there, he finds men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, while others are changing monies from one currency to another. What's going on here? Remember that I told you that animal sacrifices were performed at the temple? This was a part of the Passover worship, the sacrifice of a perfect lamb, as I noted before, in order to obtain forgiveness for sin. Because attendance at this festival was a requirement of the law, many people would sell an animal back at home and use the money to buy one in Jerusalem rather than travel with the animal all the way from the home to Jerusalem. This market was a matter of convenience. However, based on Jesus' behavior, this market was probably corrupt. In other words, merchants were cheating the public because of their situation. They were price gouging. There was also another problem. This was happening in the courts of the Gentiles. The Jewish temple was divided into sections or courts which were meant for different peoples. Women had their place, while Jewish men had another place. The Gentile court was for anyone who was not Jewish. So this activity was taking place in the very place where people who necessarily didn't know of Jehovah might come to learn of him. It wasn't a good reflection on the character of Jehovah. Jesus takes a look at this situation and decides that some action needs to take place. He makes a whip from ropes and uses that to chase the merchants out of the temple, driving out the animals, turning over the tables of the money changers and scattering their coins. To the sellers of doves, he says, get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. 
This upsets the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders in the temple. What's your authority for doing this? Show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Then Jesus makes a remarkable statement. Listen, tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll put it back together. The Jewish leaders are indignant. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? For this incident, the gospel writer, John, provides us with two insights. First, this incident brings to the disciples' mind a quotation from Psalm 69, which says, Passion for God's house will consume me. As we have seen in previous episodes, sections of the Old Testament scriptures are quoted to help confirm the message and the person of Jesus to the readers of these accounts of his life. This is another one of those passages. Secondly, John tells us that the statement Jesus made, tear down this temple and in three days I'll put it back together, was not a reference to the temple which the Jews were thinking. This was a reference to Jesus' own body. The Jews were thinking of things from a worldly point of view, while Jesus was speaking in a spiritual sense. This is a common situation in this time between Jesus and the Jewish leadership. Many of them had no real understanding of what Jesus was trying to say to them. The reason was based on the fact that they were thinking very differently about things than Jesus was thinking. Their points of view were not the same. This conflict would lead ultimately to the death of Jesus. Finally, I have a couple of observations for you. In our episode today, Jesus has been referred to as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has also been referred to as a temple. Why? In both of these references, the author of this gospel is telling us of the fate of Jesus. The Passover lamb was killed in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. That lamb was killed every year to obtain the forgiveness of sins from God. Jesus would end that killing by being the one and only absolutely perfect lamb of God, slain just once for all our forgiveness. As the lamb that was slain, his body, the temple, was destroyed. However, he was rebuilt in just three days. In other words, the body of Jesus was resurrected after death. So John concludes, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. To me, John's message is clear. This man is not ordinary. Jesus is the Son of God. That's our time for this episode. Allow me to remind you that Jesus stories come your way because you support us. Thank you for that. We depend on your prayers and support from your pocketbook for those of you who can afford to help us. If you'd like to join this effort to share Jesus with the world, I invite you to check my website, jesusstories.info. Click on the support this podcast tab in the menu. There you'll find a link on that page for making a one-time or maybe even just a regular monthly donation. And Jesus Stories now has swag. That's our new way to help support us. This swag allows you to tell folks that you listen to Jesus Stories and help us out. 
Some of the money you spend to buy a mug or a tote bag or whatever will go to help us out. Find the items available by visiting jesusstories.info slash swag. Our next episode is going to involve more detail about the party and the purge that we've heard about today. What do they tell us about Jesus? What do they mean in his story? What could they mean in our story? That's on the next Jesus Stories episode. We'll see you in two weeks. God bless. Story most precious, sweetest.